Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Relove Podcast. This is Pastor Seth Yolorda, and I wanna thank you for taking the time out of your busy day to listen to this week's message. Our prayer is that it will leave you inspired, encouraged, and challenged as you grow higher in Christ. And I also just wanna ask that if this message is a blessing to you, that you would take the time to share it, to send it to a friend, send it to a family member so that they too can be blessed. Again, we thank you for taking the time to listen and we pray that you are blessed. Good morning, Relove Church. I wanna welcome you back to Relove at Home and thanking you so much for joining us today. I pray that you've had a wonderful week and I just wanna tell you, I am super excited about the message today because I really believe that God has a word for you as we begin episode three of our sermon series, Permission Granted. Now, if you missed the first two, first two episodes, I'm gonna just kind of recap them, but I, I don't want you to just be satisfied with the recap. I really want you to go to our YouTube page, to our Facebook page, or maybe even to Spotify or wherever you can watch our, listen to our podcast. And I want you to listen to those episodes because they are, in my opinion, they are foundational. They are fundamental to you understanding that God is calling you to be great. We've been talking about how God has given us a permission slip. And on this permission slip is God saying to us, I am giving you permission to live a great life, to live a dynamic life, to live a fulfilled life, to live an outstanding life. Similar to when you were in high school or maybe even middle school, you had to get a permission slip from your teacher to go to the restroom or to be in the hallways during class. Well, God has also given us a permission slip through his word that he is calling us into greatness. He's calling us into purpose, into power, into stepping into and maximizing all of our potential, that God wants you to be great. In fact, I want you to put that in the chat. God wants me to be great. God wants me to be great. And if you're not in a place where you can chat, just turn to the person next to you. If you're riding in a car, turn to the person who's sitting next to you. If you're at home on your couch, turn to the person next to you and say, God wants you to be great. I really want you to get this because I think too many of us, we live our life feeling as though Okay, yes, I'm a Christian, but I kind of have to play it small. I'm a Christian. I don't I can't let my light shine. I'm a Christian. I got to walk this humble, meek, lowly road. And yeah, there's some truth to walking living a humble life and living a meek life, but there is no truth in you as a Christian living a small life. God has not called you to hide your light. God has not called you to, to put your lamp under, a, a, under the table where no one can see it. God has called you to live out loud. L-O-L, live out loud. He wants you to live out loud. And so we've been talking about how John chapter 15, God calls us to bear fruit. And then last week we talked about how God gave, you know, his servants, he gave one five talents, one two talents, one one talent. And he's essentially saying, listen, I want you to multiply. I want you to be great. And well, this week we're going to continue with this sermon series, going to go a little bit deeper into it. And so as we begin, I just want to invite you to just have a word of prayer with me as we jump into the word of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just thank you again for a chance to open your word. I thank you again for a chance to be able to share just the truth that I feel is a relevant word for us in this day and age. And God, I'm just praying for every person who's watching, every person who's listening, whether they are at home, in their car, at work, uh, taking a walk with, the, with their AirPods on, whether they are in the barbershop or in the grocery store, wherever they are right now, God, I just pray that this word would pierce their hearts and that they would understand at their core, that you are calling them into greatness, that you are calling them into significance, that you are calling them into purpose. And so God, well, my prayer is that this word would go forth and that it wouldn't return void, but that a harvest would come forth and would shine as a result of your word going forth. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So throughout this entire series, we have been operating from the premise that God is calling us into greatness. And it's not greatness as the world defines greatness, like, you know, you are, you know, on a stage speaking to 10 million people. It's not greatness that you are making lots of money, have a big house, fast car. I mean, that's great, but that's not the greatness that we're talking about. We're talking about greatness as it relates to kingdom greatness. We're talking about greatness as it relates to 
fruitfulness. Uh, from the very first um, episode, we've talked about how God is calling us to be producers, that when you go outside and you look at the orange tree, there's tons of orange groves in Southern California, that these orange trees, are they are producing oranges, right? And that God is calling us to be producers. He's calling us to produce fruit. And we define fruitfulness as you are living your life in such a way where your gifts emerge those around you are elevated and the kingdom is exalted. Let me say that one more time. That fruitfulness is you are living your life in such a way where your gifts begin to emerge. People can see, you can see how your gifts are coming to light. And as a result of your gifts emerging, those around you are elevated. They are blessed. They are nourished. They are edified because you are using your gifts to elevate them. And because you are using your gifts to elevate them, God's kingdom is exalted. And so that is the, the essence of what it means to be fruitful or to be to experience kingdom greatness. It is not you stepping into that you know, six-figure job. It is not you stepping into perfect health all the time where there's no problems, no issues, no trials. No, no, there can be trials. There can be issues. You can still be battling sickness, but yet you can still experience fruitfulness. And we shared with you last week the story of our brother, Chris, uh, who is battling ALS. And yet he is still stepping into fruitfulness, even though he is battling this life-threatening disease. And so I don't want anyone to think that just because um, my situation is not ideal or my environment is not, not ideal that I can't be fruitful. No, we establish that no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the environment, no matter where you are or what's happening inside of you, to you, around you, in you, no matter what, that you can still be fruitful. And I just want to say this word because right now we are living in a season where a lot of people are feeling discouraged. A lot of people are feeling depressed. A lot of people are feeling overwhelmed. COVID has shut down the market. They can't get a job. There's hiring freezes. Graduations have been canceled. People aren't able to experience the college like they want to experience college because, you know, freshmen can't, you know, there's going to be social distancing. I, I hear it. I hear you all. I've had many conversations with you all. In fact, I just learned that there have been individuals in our own community who have, who have committed suicide as a result of this. I understand that we're living in a very, difficult season and that many of us feel as though because the environment around us is challenging, because the environment around us is difficult, that there's really nothing we can do. But what I want to do is just encourage you today by saying that no matter what the environment is around you, whether it's COVID, whether it's joblessness, whether it's you're going through a divorce, crisis in your family, crisis in your bank account, no matter what the situation, you can still bear fruit because fruit Kingdom fruit isn't contingent on the economy. Let me say that again. Kingdom fruitfulness is not contingent on the economy. Kingdom fruitfulness isn't contingent upon the environment. Kingdom fruitfulness is contingent on your focus. Let me get this. I want to make sure you, you get this very clearly. It's all based on your focus. Are you focusing on God and your relationship with God and remaining in Christ? Or are you focusing on the economy? Are you focusing on the environment? Are you focusing on your health? If you focus on these external factors, those external factors will drive you. They will lead you into discouragement, into depression, and worst case scenario, to do something that you can never come back from. But if you're focusing on your walk with God and you're focusing on what God, all that God has given you, then no matter what the economy is doing, or no matter what the job market looks like, you can still operate within fruitfulness. You can still say, I can be a blessing. Though there's no figs on the fig tree and there's no horses in the stable and though this world is falling out of control, I can still bless the Lord because he is continuing to provide for me even in this season. So I will allow my gifts to emerge. I will make sure I'm elevating those around me and I will make sure the kingdom of heaven is exalted. Now, as we're dealing with this this week specifically, I really want to talk today about how God is not just calling us to fruitfulness, but that God has given us everything that we need for 
fruitfulness. God has given us everything we need in order for us to be great. And the first text I want to take a, a look at is in Luke chapter 12 and verse 33 and, and verse 32. And when I read this text this week, it really hit me um, because some of us are of the opinion that for some reason, God doesn't want us to be great. For some reason, God doesn't. It's almost like we view greatness, we view salvation, we view being in God's will and being in God's favor is something that we have to strive for. But Luke chapter 12, verse 32, really frames it in an entirely different way. Let's look what the word of God says. Luke chapter 12, verse 32, it says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Let me just read that again. Luke 12, verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Another version says, it is your father's good pleasure. Or another version says, your father is glorified. It is like your father is happy to give you the kingdom. He wants to give you the kingdom. It is his pleasure to give you the kingdom. God wants to give it to you. And this is the, what, what's kind of cool about this text is that because God is pleased to give you the kingdom, it's not like he's trying to hold something back from you. It's not like God is saying, let me, let me put a, 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 a worldwide pandemic on my people and let me see how they respond. Let me, let me take them through the crucible. Let me put fire and, and suffering on them. No, God is, not tr God is not sending suffering our way. No, God is saying, no, I want, I, I want you to step into greatness. I want to send prosperity your way. Now, the reality is, is that we live in a sinful fallen world. And so suffering is inevitable. Get, hear me. Suffering is inevitable, but understand that even in the midst of the suffering, God's, God's pleasure, God's, God's glory, God's heart, God is happy to extend to you the kingdom. It's like you have a child, you have a, you have a kid, and that kid comes and says, hey, mom, can I get the keys to the car? Uh, now, most of you all, if you had a 16, 17, 18-year-old son or daughter who came to you and asked for the keys to the car, I don't know if you would be like happy to give them the keys to the car, right? You don't know where they're going. You don't know uh, if their driving skills have been refined, but God is like, oh, you want the keys to the car? Psh, no problem. They're yours. I'm happy to give it to you. It's my pleasure to give it to you. And that's essentially what Luke is trying to communicate to us is like, no, God wants to give you the kingdom and everything that comes with the kingdom. Now, in addition to that, when you look at this text, what I just, as I study it, it just feels like God is pleased to give us the kingdom. But at the same time, when we then, as his children, then take the kingdom that he has given to us and then we give it to others and we allow other people to experience the same kingdom that God has given to us, God is glorified. In fact, this is what John chapter 15 and this has really been our main text throughout the entire, throughout the entire, um, throughout our entire sermon series, John chapter 15. And I just want to kind of draw your attention there real quick. because I want to show you this in John chapter 15, verse seven, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done to you. So we know in John chapter 15, starting with verses one through eight, he's really talking about you know, abide in Christ and Christ is the vine. You are the branch. And if you abide in him, you will bear much fruit. And that there's this idea of fruitfulness that God wants us to manifest. But then he goes on in verse seven, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. And then in verse eight, this is the key. In verse eight, he says, but this, but this, excuse me, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. So it's almost as if God is saying in Luke 12, listen, it is my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he's saying, and when you take that and you, and you allow other people to experience the kingdom of heaven, when you bear fruit and your fruit is elevating other people and other people are coming into the kingdom as a result of the life that you're living, that's when I'm glorified. That's when our father is glorified. That's when he's like, my father is glorified. He is, he is praised. You think, see, this is the thing. This is the thing. You think God is glorified when you sing that praise and worship song. 
Uh, be honest with me. You think God is glorified when Ricky hits the high note and his sisters are bringing in uh, the, the praise team and, and, uh, and Izzy is on the keys. You think God is glorified when, when we are joined together in one corporate chorus praising God. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I believe that singing is a part of worship and it's a beautiful thing. But the text just told us that God is glorified when we bear fruit. What are you talking about? When we allow our life to live in such a way where people around us are elevated. And guess what, y'all? You don't have to. You don't have to have corporate worship. We don't have to be in a building. We don't have to have, you know, 200, 300, 400 people in one sanctuary in order for my life to bear fruit. No, I can bear fruit by myself, standing on the corner, witnessing to someone who's in need, calling a friend who's suffering, encouraging someone who's de who's depressed, taking some food to someone who's just been tested positive for, for COVID and leaving it at their doorstep. I can bear fruit in so many ways. And God is saying, when you allow your gifts to shine and when you really step into what I have placed in you and you bear fruit, that's when I am glorified. That's when I'm glorified. And so the win, the win for us in our Christian life, the win, the W-I-N, is when you bear fruit. The win isn't when we go to church. Like, that's not the win. The win isn't when we just have a Bible study. That's not the win. The win is when you bear fruit. It's, it's, almost, like, it's almost like someone saying, um, if you're a planter, if you're a gardener, like, the win isn't when you plant the seed. Now, planting the seed is necessary, but that's not the win. And the win isn't even when you water the seed. Well, watering the seed is necessary, but that's not the win. The win is when that plant bears fruit. When that plant begins to grow and cucumbers form and tomatoes form and oranges form and pineapples form, that is the win. I like to picture it kind of like, like football, if I can use football as an analogy, that when you think about a football game, like the purpose of the football game is to win the game, obviously. But the win isn't just by you getting a first down, right? You know, first downs are good, and most likely, the more first downs you get, the better your chances of winning. But what determines what you win, whether you win or not, is not first downs. What determines whether you win or not is how many times you get into the end zone, how many times you score. The touchdown, that's the win. Now, the first downs are necessary in order for you to make it to the end zone and to have a score touchdown, and you want, hopefully, more first downs than you have fourth downs, right? And more first downs than you have turnovers. But the win is actually getting into the end zone because that's what puts points on the board. And so the win for your life is not just going to church. Going, going to church is good. The win for your life is not just, you know, spending time, you know, in the word or spending time listening to a worship song or worship album. Like that's all good. The win is when the fruit begins to show. And when people are able to eat from the fruit of your tree and they experience blessings and nourishment and they are elevated because of the life that you're living. And that's when God says in John chapter 5, 15, verse 8, that your father is glorified. That's why we say fruitfulness is your gifts emerge, people around you are elevated, and the kingdom is exalted. John 15, verse 8, God is glorified when we bear much fruit. Now, now I just want to, I want to just break down this whole idea of bearing fruit, right? So bearing fruit is, is really the same as producing fruit, right? Producing fruit. The way I actually think we can really understand this is if a woman was pregnant, we would say that this woman, she bore a child, right? She was carrying a child in her womb. And, and listen, I think pregnant women are the most beautiful thing. I've said that before on planet earth, right? So to, see, to think that there's a, a, a child, a living person growing inside of you, you are bearing this child. You, when that child comes out, you bore a child, past tense, you bore a child. You know, you essentially produced a child. We don't not a lot of times use that language, produced a child, but that's essentially what you did. A, you, a, a child, because of the seed and the egg fertilized, that child was growing inside of you and then over time that child got to the point where now you produce this child and some of my mothers out there y'all know what I'm talking about when your child starts acting a fool 
would you say, listen, I, I brought you into this world and I will take you out of this world. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Where you say, I produced you and now I can take you out. Right? We say that in jest and joking, kind of, not really. But you get where I'm going. That the idea is that a mother, a woman, she is able to produce or, or bore, she bore a child. Now, the goal isn't to get pregnant. Now, getting pregnant is a necessary step. But the goal is to produce that child. The goal isn't even to make it to the first trimester or second trimesters. Those are objectives. Those are kind of, yeah, we need to make it through those trimesters. But the ultimate win is that when that child comes out of your womb, happy, healthy, kicking, screaming, and your life is never the same as a result. And then as soon as that child comes out of your room, you are waiting, the clock starts, and I can't wait till they turn 18 so I can kick them out of my house, right? Like that's the idea. That's the idea when it comes to children and bearing children, that we want to produce them. And getting pregnant and going through the trimesters is a part of the process, but it's not the win. The win is bearing the child. And for God's people, God is saying, the win isn't going to church. The win isn't even singing praise songs. Those things are good. Those things are necessary. But the win is when your fruit comes out. When we talk about fruit, we're talking about the thing, the gifting that God has placed in you, the purposes that are buried deep with inside of you, your gifts, whether those gifts be to, to gifts of helps or gifts of administration or gifts of service, those gifts, those fruit, which is to love and joy and peace and long suffering and, and goodness and, 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 and gentleness and meekness and self-control. When those gifts begin to emerge and people are literally blessed because of you, that is the win. And what the word of God tells us is that as it pertains to that win, you have everything that you need. Let me just let that sink in for a minute. As it pertains to that win, you have everything that you need. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need a bigger car. You don't need a better job. As it pertains to you bearing fruit, you have everything that you need. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 1 Verse three says it like this, his divine power has granted to us all things, all things that pertain to life and godliness through his knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Let's say that again. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Essentially, what Peter is saying is that his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to fruitfulness, life and godliness. He's essentially saying, I've given you everything that you need to produce fruit. I've given you everything that you need to live a, a vibrant, thriving, dynamic, world-changing life. I've given you everything that you need to live, to live godly and holy and righteously. I've given it to you all. You don't need more sermons. You don't need more, more, more resources. You don't need a bigger house. You don't need more, more, more praise music. I mean, and all of that is good, but everything that you need, God has already given it to you. Some of us, some of us are of the opinion that you need something more, that you don't have enough to bear fruit, but that is a lie of the enemy. That is a lie. Everything that you have he has given to you. And, and I want to illustrate this going to, with, a te- with a story in the Old Testament as our main text. If you go back to Exodus in our main text, Exodus chapter three and chapter four, um, something very interesting is happening. So just to give you some context, in the book of Exodus, this is God's, um, um, well, the reason why it's called Exodus is because this is God's, um, I don't want to say attempt, this is when God is beginning to, to bring his people out of captivity. And so Exodus is the story of God bringing deliverance to his children. His children who had been in bondage, they had been in Egyptian captivity. Uh, They went into Egyptian captivity towards the end of Genesis, the beginning of Exodus. They've been in captivity for some 300, some suggest even 400 years. The children of Israel have been slaves in Egypt, building pyramids, making bricks without straw under the hand of Pharaoh. 
And it gets to the point in Exodus chapter three, where God says, you know what? I have heard the cries of my people and I am going to send a deliverer to help them. And so God scans the earth and God says, who is the best person? Who is the person who is, who is prepared and positioned and who I can use to bring deliverance to my people? And he stumbles upon this gentleman by the name of Moses. And he says, you know what? Moses is the perfect candidate. And you know why Moses is the perfect candidate? Because Moses, spent several years, his entire childhood and, and much of his teenage years was spent in Egypt. He learned Pharaoh's ways. He learned the language of the Egyptians. He learned the gods of the Egyptians. If you know Moses' story, he was a Hebrew who who was rescued um, or his parents really kind of sent him down the Nile River to try to preserve his life because Pharaoh was killing all of the kids. He sent him down the Nile River. Um, Pharaoh's, one of someone in Pharaoh's household took Moses out of the Nile River and raised him in Pharaoh's household as though he was one of Pharaoh's own children. Moses became of age. He recognized that while he was a Hebrew, he did not belong in Egypt. He ran for his life. And so he spent much of many years, actually 40 years, he spent 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness as a man with a family. But then at some point, God says, you know what? I've heard the cry of my people. I want to go deliver my people. And so he calls Moses and he brings Moses in Exodus chapter three, he brings Moses to the burning bush. And at the burning bush, God begins to have a conversation with Moses. And this is not like a conversation in Moses's head. This is a literal conversation. The way that you can hear me talking, Moses could hear God talking. And listen to what God says. God comes to Moses and God says, Moses, Exodus chapter three now, chapter three, verse nine, God says, look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abused them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. So here what God is saying to Moses, he's saying, Moses, the Egyptians are treating my people harshly. I'm calling you right now to go and to set my people free. I want you to lead here now. I want you to lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. And look at Moses' response in verse 12, excuse me, in verse 11. But Moses protested to God. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So, so here now, here what's happening. God is saying, Moses, I'm calling you into this calling. Moses, I'm, I want you to step out and to do something great for me. Moses, I want you to assume this leadership role. Moses, I'm calling you to lead your family. I'm calling you to lead the children of Israel. I'm calling you to do a great work in my name. Moses, I'm calling you to allow your gifts to emerge. Moses, I'm calling you to allow others to be elevated and for my kingdom be exalted. Moses, I want you to deliver my people out of Egypt. And Moses' first response was, who am I? Moses looked at the size of the calling. And then Moses looked at the size of the man. And Moses says, there is no way that I, who I am, this small man can actually, actually accomplish this great calling that you are placing on me. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And who am I to lead them out of Israel? That's almost like if God were to come to you and say, I want you to go to the White House and I want you to set my people free. You might be like, who am I to go to the White House? Who am I to go and confront the president of the United States? Who am I to speak to the most powerful person in the world about this issue? God is saying, Moses, uh, Moses is saying, God, I'm no one. Moses is essentially taking God's request and he is undercutting it. He is undermining his own ability to step into what God is calling him to step into because Moses thinks I am not capable. I don't have the experience. I don't have the talent. I don't have the, the courage. I don't have the, the, the fortitude, the stamina. I am not big enough to do this. Moses' first problem that when God places a call upon you, that God is not calling you based off of your abilities. God is not calling you based off of what he thinks you can, based on what you think you can do. God is calling you because he knows in you lies greatness. And he says, if you would just link up with me and by faith, trust me, you have everything that you need. And so look at God's, look at God's response to Moses in verse 12. God answered, he said, Moses, I will be with you. He says, and this will be your sign that I am the one who, sent, who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, 
you will worship God at this very mountain. So he's like, listen, I'm going to be with you. And to prove it, when it happens, you're going to come back to this mountain and you're going to worship me. Verse 13, but Moses protested. (laughs) He says, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? So now Moses is not just saying, God, I'm not big enough. But now Moses is saying, but God, they're going to be like, well, who is God? Who are you? So, so look what Moses is doing. At first, he's doubting his ability. And now he's doubting God's relevance or God's ability. He's saying, they're going to look at me and they're going to say, well, who is this God? Right? Well, what is his name? And then Moses is like, what do I tell them? Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent you to, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me. He told me, I have been watching closely and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hevites and the Jebusites now live. So, so God is saying, okay, Moses, I hear you. Number one, you don't think you're big enough, but don't worry because I'm going to be with you. Then he says, number two, uh, you think they're going to doubt who I am, but don't worry. Just tell them that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Give them my resume. Tell them who, who I was to Abraham. Tell them who I was to Isaac. Tell them who I was to Jacob, right? And tell them not just who I was, but then tell them where I'm going to take them right? Don't worry about it, Moses. Like, I got this. And so, so God begins to kind of coach Moses through and say, Moses, like, this is what I want you to say to them. And this is how I want you to say to them. But then if you go to chapter four, verse one, Moses is not done with making excuses for in verse four, chapter four, verse one, the Bible says, but Moses protested again. He says, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say the Lord never appeared to you? So, okay, let's just, let's just slow down and let's just get what's going on. So Moses is basically making a number of excuses for why he cannot and should not be the one to go. Number one, he's like, I'm not big enough. Uh, Number two, he's like, uh, they don't even know who you are. But then number three, he just says, but what if they don't believe me? Essentially, in this third protest, in this third excuse, Moses is essentially saying, God, uh, I don't have influence with them. Like, they don't really know who I am. It's been 40 years since I've been there. They, I don't have influence. Again, Moses is undercutting his calling, his gifting, by looking at something he feels he does not have. So many of us fall into the same camp where God is saying, listen, Relove, it's time for you to step up and to let your light shine. Listen, Relove, it's time for you to allow your gifts to emerge. It's time for you to stop hiding your light. It's time for you to stop hiding in your home. It's time for you to come out, to meet your neighbors, to engage your coworkers, to talk to your community, to start having Christ-centered conversations with the individuals around you. It's time for you to get into the highways and byways. Listen, I've literally shut down the church building. So, so, so you have nowhere to go. It's not like you can gather together in church. I've shut down the church building. I want you to get out into the world. And what we do is the same thing that Moses did, where Moses says, well, I'm not big enough and I'm not this and I'm not that. And they're going to doubt me. And and who are you really, God? And then lastly, Moses says, well, I don't have influence. I don't have influence in the city and I don't have influence with my neighbor and I don't have influence with my community. And and they're going to look at me like I'm crazy. So we're on excuse number three right now. Right. And and God is like, you know what? Okay, okay, Moses. Okay, Relove. All right, you, you're making some excuses, 
But but look at Moses, look at God's response to Moses in verse two of chapter four. He says, then the Lord asked him, he said, Moses, oh, my brother, he says, what's in your hand? He says, what is in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied, verse three. He says, throw it down on the ground. And the Lord told him, so Moses threw down the staff and it turned into a snake and Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached and grabbed the tail of the snake and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. He said, perform this sign, the Lord told him. They will believe that the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, this is God calling the role, his resume, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease, leprosy. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in. And when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, if they do not believe you and are not convinced by, by my first miraculous sign, they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you, even after those two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. And when you do, the water from the Nile will turn to blood on the ground. So God like Moses. It's not about how much influence you have with the people. It's about my power. It's about what I'm able to do through you when you are reliant and remain and abide in me. It's not about you. That allowing your gifts to emerge and allowing your life to bear fruit is not about your abilities. It's about God's abilities. God is simply looking for willing vessels, for willing men and women who are saying, God, clearly, I don't got a lot, but what do I have? I have a, a shepherd's rod in my hand. God's like, I'll take whatever you have and I'll work mightily through that. The issue is, are you willing? So Moses has already said, God, I don't have enough. Um, who am I? I'm too small. God, who are you? They don't know who you are. That's, they're not going to believe me. God, um, I haven't been around for 40 years. I don't have influence. And God is time and time and time again, God saying, it's not about you, Moses. I'm with you. Moses, give them my resume. Tell them I'm the one who sent you. Moses, just take whatever you have and I will use that. Some of you, God is saying, listen, what do you have? You think you have to have a 5,000 square foot home to bless somebody before you can invite them over your house to have re-love at home. No, you can have a one bedroom apartment. God is like, give me that small little one bedroom apartment that you're sitting in right now and I will change your entire block. I will change your entire complex through that one bedroom apartment. Some of you are like, well, God, I don't have a nice car. I don't like giving people rides. I don't have a, I don't have a real nice car. God's like, give me that little hoopty you driving and I will use that to transport enough people into my kingdom through that car you're driving. But God, I don't, I don't have an education. I don't have a degree. I don't have my master's. I don't have my doctor degree. I, I'm just working a small job. I'm just doing Uber, God. I don't, I don't have much. God's like, give me your Uber. Give me your driving. Give me your, your high school diploma. Give me your GED. And I will take that. And I will win so many people into my kingdom through what you have. Never think that you have to have more in order to be used by God. You do not. And so Moses comes with his laundry list of excuses, but it doesn't just stop at those three excuses. Because if you keep reading in verse 10, let's look what Moses says. The verse 10 says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Now hear what Moses says, right? Because God has been, God has been essentially debunking every single one of his, his excuses. So in verse 10, the text says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. And he said, oh Lord, I am not very good with words. I have never been and am not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue tied. My words get tangled. Oh, here's Moses. Moses saying, God, okay, number one, I'm small. I'm not big enough for this task. Number two, God, he's like, who are you? They don't even know who you are. Number three, he's like, God, I don't have any influence. I can't do it. I don't have any influence with them. And then this last excuse, Moses is like, but God, I, I'm not gifted. I, 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 I stutter. God, I, I get tongue tied. I don't know what to say. So now Moses is saying, God, I'm not gifted. 
Like if I was if I was eloquent, I would go. If I if I could speak to large groups of people, if I had better writing skills, or if I was if I was quicker or faster or smaller or taller, God, I would go. But but I'm not gifted. They're not going to listen to me. I'm not going to have influence with them. I don't have what it takes to do what you're calling me to do. And again, God responds to Moses, what I'm asking you to do is not based on your calling. It's not based on your gifting. It's not based on your abilities. It's based on what I will do through you. And if you just remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Your gifting emerges based on your ability to remain connected to Christ. So you remain, Moses. You stay in relationship with me, Moses, and I would use the little bit that's in your hand. And I don't need you to be smooth tongue, Moses. I will speak through you. But look what God says. God says, <laughs> verse 11, verse 11, then the Lord asked Moses, Moses, uh, who, who makes a person's mouth? <laughs> Yo, God has a sense of humor, real talk. He says, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Whether people hear or do not hear, whether people see or do not see, is it not I, the Lord? He says, now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you what to say. So even when Moses is coming to God and saying, God, I don't have the gifting. God is looking at Moses saying, who gives the gifting? I give the gifting. I'm the one who enables you to talk. I'm the one who enables you to speak. I'm the one who enables you to hear. It is me. I do it all, Moses. And so because I do it all, I will tell you what to say and how to say it. Listen, I hope you're catching this word that in essence, your excuses are no excuse because God is saying, if you don't bear fruit, it's not because you are unable. It's not because you lack something. It's because you did not trust that I was going to do a great work in your life. So bear fruit. Accept the call of God upon your life. But it doesn't stop there. Moses, I think, what are we up to? Excuse number four now. I think this is number four. He says, I'm not small. I'm not, I'm not big enough. God, who are you? I don't have influence. Uh, and then, and then he says, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have influence, God. Uh, uh, he says, I get tongue tied. That's number four. I get tongue tied. Right. And then, and then <laughs> number thir- verse 13, Moses comes with his fifth, with his fifth excuse. He says, but Moses pleaded Again, Lord, he says, please send someone else. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, please send someone else. I can't do it. What you want me to do, I don't believe I can do it. Essentially, and 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 listen, with all sincerity, I, I feel that prayer that Moses prayed. I feel that response. God, please send someone else. It's too big of a task. God, please send someone else. God, I don't, I don't know if it's going to work out. I I don't have the gifting. I don't, I, I don't have the influence. God, please send someone else. But with that request to send someone else, what Moses is really saying and what you are really saying when you tell God, Send someone else to win your neighbor. Send someone else to bless that homeless person. Send someone else to elevate your family and friends. Send someone else to be a blessing to that person who's going through a hard time right now. When you say, God, send someone else, you're not just undermining your belief. You're not just speaking to your own um, unbelief in your abilities, but what you're really doing is you're saying, God, I don't believe you can use me. I don't believe you. You're saying, God, I don't believe that you will be able to do it. It's almost like you're saying, God, I just want to live the good life. I don't want to cause no trouble. I don't want to. I don't want to confront any God. I just want to just give me a house and some kids and a, and a spouse and a decent job, a car that doesn't break down. God, I just want to live the good life. And God's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't create you just to live the good life. I called you and created you to live the great, fruitful life. I desire you to bear fruit. That 
is really the good life. When you make excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse for why you cannot bear fruit, for why you cannot do what God is calling you to do, I want you to hear God's response to Moses in verse 14. And I want you to hear this response with all seriousness. For God says to Moses in verse 14, Then the Lord became angry with Moses. Just let that sit in. God's, God's anger was not unfounded. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't punitive. It wasn't arbitrary. It wasn't, it wasn't out of nowhere. I, I don't want you to think, oh, there's that angry God again striking down people. No, 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 no. No, this is not arbitrary anger. This is God is calling Moses. God is saying, Moses, I know who you are. I know where you were born. I know what you are good at. I know your gifts. I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses. I know your deficits. Moses, partner with me. Partner with me, Moses, and we can do great things. And Moses saying, I'm not good enough. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. I don't have influence. God, I don't believe you. He's giving excuse after excuse after excuse to the point where God is like, you know what? You, we about to have some, we about to have some problems right here, Moses. <laughs> He's like, listen, I ain't playing games with you, Moses, right? Like God literally is getting angry at Moses. And I can just only imagine that when God looks down upon his church and God's like, listen, I've tried and tried and tried year after year after year to mobilize you, to empower you, to move you towards your gifting, to allow your, the, my grace to flow through you. But time and time again, you allowed one thing after another to prevent you from truly doing great things for me. So much so that you all would even hide behind the four walls of your church and somehow think that because you're worshiping in a building and you have praise and worship music and, and that you're in the church building, that somehow that is therefore equated to you bearing fruit. And God's like, you know what? Let me just shut down the church building altogether and allow you to see that it's not about praise and worship in a building or hearing sermons in a building. It's about you going out and letting your light shine. I'm calling you. I'm giving you permission to do great. And a lot of you all have hid your greatness in a church building. So God had to shut down the church building. And God's saying, now I'm calling you out of the church building, into your neighborhoods, into your community, into your job, into your cubicles, in your office to be great. And if now we make excuses again for why we can't volunteer, for why we can't serve, for why we can't get out there and bless people, for why we can't, we can't lift humanity and elevate people around us, for why we can't just pray for our radius. If we make excuses right now, again, I can only imagine that God is at the point where God is like, you know what, Relove, I'm done with you. I'm tired of the excuses because I have given you everything you need to be great. Stop making excuses for why you can't serve. Stop making excuses for why you can't bless people. Stop making excuses. You're not too busy. You don't have too much going on. You have everything you need. Now is the time. God gets angry with Moses in verse 14. And look what God says. He says, the Lord became angry with Moses. And then this is what God says. He says, all right, Moses. All right, all right, all right, all right. He said, what, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I, I know he speaks well. And look, he is on his way to meet you now. He will be delighted to see you. Talk to him and put the words in his mouth. I will be with you both as you speak. And I will instruct you both in what you do. Aaron will be your spokesman to the people. He will be your mouthpiece. And you will stand in the place of God for him, telling him what to say. And take that shepherd's staff that's in your hand and use it to perform the miraculous signs I have shown you. God's like, okay, Moses, listen, I hear you. Oh, you still going to go. But I'm just going to send Aaron with you. And Aaron will be for you uh, a, little, a little safety net, a, 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 little, a little blankie to, to, to keep you warm and to help you get through this situation. But know that I am calling you to do this great thing. God was fundamentally calling Moses to bear fruit. He's like, Moses, you can't stay in this, in this distant land forever. There's too much in you that I need to use for my kingdom's glory and for my purposes. And when God is looking at you, God is calling you to be great. He's saying, listen, there's too much inside of you for me just to let it lie dormant and die 
I imagine it's almost like a seed, that there's this seed, and in this one seed, in this apple seed, there is unlimited potential to feed an entire village, to feed an entire neighborhood in one apple seed. And God says, if I can just, if I can plant that seed, that that seed will give birth to, to a tree and that tree will make more apples and more seeds and it can fill, it can, it can, it can feed an entire nation from one seed. God's saying there is greatness inside of you. And while you don't see it, I see it. And while you don't think you are prepared to do what I'm calling you to do, you are more than prepared because I am with you every step of the way. Now, I think this is, this is the challenge, especially living in this COVID season right now, is that when we see our life, we naturally see a life that from our perspective, we intended it to go along a certain path, but COVID came in and threw us all off path. And so now many of us are wondering, well, what does my life look like? And what can I do? And I can't do this and I can't do that. And I think when it comes to kingdom greatness, what, what kingdom greatness and fruitfulness causes us to do is it forces us to look outside of the box. It forces us to consider different, creative, innovative ways of doing things. And so, yeah, I mean, we would have loved to go from point A to point B, but because we can't, because of COVID, we can't just go from point A to point B. We have to go from point A to A.1 to A.2. And like, we have to rewire and go different routes. And, and yet at the end of the day, God is like, listen, if you just walk with me and talk with me, I will allow things that you didn't think you had the capacity to do and things that you didn't think you were capable for, they will start to emerge and shine and show forth. And you will recognize that you have everything that you need to make it through this crisis crazy season that we're living in and your gifts will emerge and those around you will be elevated and the kingdom will be exalted. When Moses was looking at the situation, Moses could only see what he did not have. But when God was looking at the situation, God was seeing everything that Moses did have. It's perspective. Your ability to produce fruit is based off of, will you trust that God is able to do in you and to do through you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask, think, or imagine according to the power that works within you? So God is calling us we love. He's calling us to bear fruit. He's calling us to be great. He's calling us to, to live an outstanding, dynamic, vibrant life where it's not just about my dreams and my goals and my person, but it's about how can my dreams and my goals and my person elevate and encourage and how can me winning cause other people to win? How can I be a blessing to those around me? God wants all of us to step into our greatness. And so this is what happens. He calls us to be great. Uh, in fact, let me say it like this. There's actually a story in the Bible, a parable that Jesus tells in Luke in chapter 13. It's just only a few verses, verses six to nine. Jesus tells this parable where he says that one day a man planted a fig tree in his garden and he came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it. But he was always disappointed. Verse seven, finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig on this fig tree. Cut it down. It's just taking up space in the garden. The gardener answered and said, sir, give it one more chance. Leave it one more year. I will give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. If we get figs next year, fine. If not, then you can cut it down. This, this, this parable is essentially God's message to the church where God is saying, listen, I've come to my church year after year after year. I've come to you. You all who are mature believers, you've been in this thing all of your life. You've been a Christian all of this life. You've been going to church and VBS and Sabbath school or Sunday school all of your life. You've been plugged into this thing. God's like, I've been waiting year after year after year and year after year after year. You come to me with excuses. Well, God, wait till I get married. Well, God, wait till I have some kids. Well, God, wait till I graduate from school. Well, God, God, wait till I get out of debt. Well, God, wait till I get a bigger house. Well, God, wait, wait till I achieve this, this accomplishment. Well, God, wait, wait till this happens or wait till that happens. God's like, listen, I've waited for years and no fruit has come from you. He's like, cut it down. Now, hear me now. And I say this with all love and respect. This is no different than what we learned last week 
with the one servant who received one talent and he buried his talent. And when God came, when the, when the master came back, he said, you know what? Give me that with one talent that you had and I'm going to give it to the person who has 10. Essentially, God is saying, with my church, with my people, I'm expecting my people to bear fruit. I'm expecting you not to play it small, but to step out and step into greatness. This is no different than what we read in John chapter 15, where he says that, that uh, uh, I'm the vine, I'm the branch and you're the vine. He that remains in me will bear fruit. But if you do not bear fruit, my father will cut you off. Hear what Christ is saying now. This is not a fire and brimstone message. This is not a judgment message. This is a warning. This is for us as a church to recognize that God has given us everything we need to be great. And God is calling us into greatness. This is not about salvation. Don't get me wrong. It's not about salvation. It's about greatness in the kingdom of heaven. That's saying, God's like, some of you all are content with bearing no fruit. Some of you all are content with bearing some fruit. Some of you all are content with bearing more fruit. But God is saying, listen, if you just remain in me, you could bear much fruit. And we think about Moses and the impact Moses has had on the entire nation of Israel and how we are even now inspired by his story because he allowed God to use him, even though he felt in his own flesh that he was not worthy or able or gifted. God says, I will take that which is the least and I will do so much for it for my kingdom's sake. And so God wants to take your life and he wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to be a blessing. Every single where that you, every single place that you go, he's calling you to be great. As, as I wrap up, it, this, this, this passage, this story, this sermon reminds me um, of what you and I have grown accustomed to in California, and that's palm trees. You know, palm trees are literally almost everywhere. You can go to Hollywood, you'll see palm trees. You can go to the hood <laughs> and you'll see palm trees. Palm trees are everywhere. And I remember when I was living in Tennessee and before I moved to California, I used to always joke to say, man, I can never live in California because I mean, there's palm trees everywhere. Palm trees are only, are only meant for vacations, right? I want to see palm trees when I go on a vacation. I don't want to see palm trees during the middle of the day when I'm just taking a walk around my block. But palm trees are literally everywhere. And I think um, what has happened to many of us is we have become palm trees. We've become palm trees where we are tall and we are strong and we can, we can ebb and flow with the wind and we have our branches, but there is no fruit. We're palm trees. There's no fruit on us. What I feel like God is calling us to be is he's saying, don't be palm trees, <laughs> be coconut trees. The coconut tree is a part of the palm tree family. The major difference is that a coconut tree bears fruit. And that fruit that comes from a coconut tree can bring nourishment and sustenance to whomever sits underneath it. And God is calling us not to just be these tall, big, strong palm trees, but that add no value and give no life and provide no nourishment to those around us. God is calling us to be coconut trees. That our life is feeding and blessing and nourishing and encouraging those around us. My prayer for you is that if you want to say, you know what, Pastor, I want to be a coconut tree, right? I want to bear fruit. I want to answer the call. I want to step into what God is calling me to step into. Then I want you to join me on our website right now. If you would jump over to relove.church and that if you would go at the very top right of the page where it says bear fruit, that you would click that button and that you would fill out that form and that you would join us to say, you know what? I'm not content with just listening to sermons and going about my business and planting seeds in the ground and watering them. That's not the win. Like if all of the sermons I listen to and all of the praise worship I listen to, if it doesn't lead me to bless someone and to encourage someone and to strengthen someone or to feed someone or to elevate someone, then it's not a win. And in fact, it's all in vain. I want to make sure that my life actually leads to a win, which is I want my gifts to emerge. I want those around me to be elevated and I want the kingdom to be exalted. I want my gifts to emerge, those around me to be elevated and the kingdom to be exalted. 
And the question is, how long must God wait in order for you to bear fruit? How long? Some of you are at that point right now where you're like, okay, pastor, I want to bear fruit, but how, how, do, I, how do I do it? How, how do I allow my gifts to emerge? That's a great question. At the core, to answer that question, John 15, he says, abide in me. Wake up every morning, spend time with me, connect with me, uh, get in my word, get in my face, come into my presence, connect with me. And then as you connect with God and you abide with him, you will begin to just grow a level of sensitivity to the needs around you. And you'll start saying, well, man, I can help this person. And I can bless this person. I don't have much, but what I do have here, I don't, I don't got a whole lot, but I got a staff and God can use this staff to, to work miracles. I got a one bedroom. I got a one bedroom house. Maybe I can invite some people over. You know, we've been tested. We're, we're safe and we can have a church at home. Like there's so much you can do, but it starts with you abiding and remaining in Christ. And so I invite you, number one, I want you to jump over to the website and click that button, bear fruit. Number two, I want you to make a commitment in your heart that God, I want to abide with you. And number three, God, show me, pray this prayer with me. God, show me those around me that I can be a blessing to. And as it begins to reveal those people to you, my prayer is that your gifts will emerge, that those around you would be elevated and that God's kingdom would be exalted. Let me pray with you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for your word, which man challenges us and compels us not to play it safe, not to play it small, but to step out there and to do great and mighty things for you. So God, in the name of Jesus, I just wanna speak life, speak power, speak grace, over your people right now, that they would step into all that you have called them to. They would experience the fullness of what it means to truly be your child who's bearing fruit, who is, who is planted by the rivers of life and whose, whose tree, whose branches yield its fruit in its season. God, that we would be all that you have desired us to be, that we will live passionate, boldly, uh, 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 out loud for you and that you would be exalted. God, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.